Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. Uh, hopefully everybody got a chance to listen to the last actual episode uh, that I recorded in which I talked about the Pixar film Onward. Um, I re I, I'm recording two things in one day, and so that's why we're getting uh, this, this uh, onslaught of episodes. Um, and hopefully there won't be quite so long a gap uh, between episodes, but of course that's always easy for me to say. And right now I'm actually working on another documentary, so uh, who knows, maybe that's gonna take up all of my time and maybe the next episode won't be until September or something like that. But I'll try to make, I'll try to, try to do one earlier than that, but I've said that before, I realize. So, okay. Don't, I'm not sure how long this mini-sode is going to be. Um, it's more just me. It, it, it comes out of me thinking about God's Not Dead, a movie that is seven years old that we've talked about on the show before at length. I've referenced it many times as uh, maybe the movie that I consider to be the worst of the 2010s. And I guess, you know, proof of that is that I keep thinking of ways that it is bad. And... I thought of one recently, in which case I wasn't, I mean, obviously the, the writing is really, really rough from a dialogue standpoint. Uh, most of the performances are fine, serviceable, um, and it's not shot particularly poorly, uh, but that writing is just so awful, and the way that it panders to the audience is something that just uh, I, I find exhausting. Um, too many characters and just the way that some of those characters are used is something that I feel like is much more theme-based than uh, narrative-based. Um, but I'm not going to rehash all that. Instead, I'm going to talk about um, the climax of the film. Uh, and there are, I think it could be argued that there are several. Um, and that is one of the, uh, structurally one of the things that bothers me about the film. But the primary push of the film is this ongoing debate between uh, a, a Christian college student, the character's name is Josh Wheaton, played by Shane Harper, and his uh, atheistic uh, philosophy professor named uh, Professor Radisson, played by Kevin Sorbo. And so they have this ongoing debate in class um, about the possible existence of God. And so after there, there are going to be three debates. And so after the second debate, uh, Josh has done uh, an okay job, uh, I guess. And the professor clearly feels a little bit threatened by him. And so they have a, a one to one conversation after class. And I'm actually going to play the audio uh, here. And I want you, again, this, I don't want to, well, okay, I was going to say, I was about to say, I don't want to come down too hard on the film that I've that I've said I consider to be the worst of the 2010s. I guess I've come down hard already. Um, what I'll say is, as you're listening to this, the, the, the way the dialogue is written is not really great, and you'll undoubtedly hear that, but I actually want you to look deeper than that and see that this is probably in the film probably one of the more passionate moments and even if the dialogue itself feels fairly artificial 
emotionally it is one of the more real moments in the film and i do think that kevin sorbo who since making this film has become something something of an icon in the christian film world i think he actually does a really good job um selling the emotion of this moment again that the dialogue is just so on the nose and also just clearly somebody the the, the writer's um uh the way they think an intellectual atheist would talk and, and Sorbo kind of leans into that at times. So it, it, this is not in many ways going to be easy, easy to listen to, but we're going to listen to this uh, one-on-one conversation that these two characters have, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. It's easy to dismiss what you don't understand or what you don't want to understand. There it is. The default setting of the Bible thumper. If only you would open the scripture and read, then you would understand. So says the brave young freshman. For thou art wise, and with thou all wisdom shall die. Job 12, verse 2. What else does Job tell us? For man who was born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes forth a shadow and does not continue so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more <laughs> well at least he got that part right what happened to you <sighs> when a 12 year old watches his mother dying of cancer it's only natural to beg God for her life. And he'll promise anything to his make-believe grandfather in the sky, including to love and worship him forever, if only he will spare her. Sometimes the answer is no. Tell that to me the day you lose someone you love. She died believing a lie. She died believing that someone out there loved her even while he was strangling her to death. God who would allow that is not worth believing in. That is why, Wheaton, you will find the most committed atheists were once Christians. But we took the blinders off. We saw the world for what it truly is. You see, Shakespeare had it right. Life is really a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. Okay, so not, strictly speaking, the worst scene out there. Music is pretty good, and uh, and I do think that Sorbo's performance is pretty solid. Uh, and so here we have a, a situation where... Um, the our, our hero Josh is being faced with uh, the very real situation of someone who has lost a loved one, and they blame God for it, um, or they see it as as proof of his uh, non-existence. And certainly, there are plenty of people out there. I remember I, I read a uh, an interview with uh, Stephen Fry, and they said, and who's a noted atheist, um, and. Uh, an interviewer said like if you were to meet god 
uh, what would you ask him? And he said, uh, I would ask him bone cancer in children, really? And the idea being that like th- there is, yes, of course, there's loss in this world, but there's there's particularly difficult suffering uh, on the part of, of people who absolutely do not deserve it. Uh, and I, I realize it's difficult to say that some people deserve suffering, but there are people that do a lot of evil and an argument could be made that they deserve suffering. But uh, certainly children or uh, in this care, in this case, uh, the character's mother, a very devout woman. Uh, and so the Professor Radisson is, is admitting, admitting something very personal here. And you can see, and it is to Sorbo's credit, that as you're, you can hear it in his voice and you can see it in his face, there's an, a very palpable anger. And underneath that anger is a lot of hurt. And uh, the character Josh, like, kind of mumbles through sort of a standard Christian response, which is like, well, sometimes the answer is no. And it's something that we, you know, Christians have have sometimes said before is like, well, hey, sometimes God answers. And of course, that is easy to say when maybe you haven't experienced that kind of loss. That answer is not an answer. And so uh, so I do appreciate that they they allow Josh this moment of not really knowing what to say. Uh, and, and then Radisson coming in and really kind of decimating that answer. Uh, not from a logical or theological standpoint, but just from an emotional experiential standpoint. So uh, pretty good scene. And then we get to the final debate uh, between these two characters. And we're going to listen to that too. And then we'll talk about it. Evil. That's been said that evil is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith. And it is. After all, the very existence of evil begs the question, if God is all good and God is all powerful, why does he allow evil to exist? The answer at its core is remarkably simple. Free will. God allows evil to exist because of free will. From the Christian standpoint, God tolerates evil in this world on a temporary basis so that one day those who choose to love him freely will dwell with him in heaven, free from the influence of evil, but with their free will intact. In other words, God's intention concerning evil is to one day destroy it. Well, how convenient. One day, I will get rid of all the evil in the world. But until then, you just have to deal with all the wars and holocaust, tsunamis, poverty, starvation, and AIDS. Have a nice life. Next, you'll be lecturing us on moral absolutes. But why not? Professor Radisson, who's clearly an atheist, doesn't believe in moral absolutes. But his course syllabus says he plans to give us an exam during finals weeks. Now, I'm betting that if I manage to get an A in the exam by cheating, he'll suddenly start sounding like a Christian, insisting it's wrong to cheat, that I should have known that. And yet, what basis does he have? If, if my actions are calculated to help me succeed, then why shouldn't I perform them? For Christians, the fixed point of morality, what constitutes right and wrong, is a straight line that leads directly back to God. Oh, so you're saying that we need a God to be moral, that a moral atheist is an impossibility. No, but with no God, there's no real reason to be moral. I mean, there's not even a, a standard of what moral behavior is. For Christians, lying, cheating, stealing, in my example, stealing a great idea and earn are forbidden. It's a form of theft, but 
If God does not exist, as Dostoevsky famously pointed out, if God does not exist, then everything is permissible. And not only permissible, but pointless. If Professor Radisson is right, then all of this, all of our struggle, our, our debate, whatever we decide here is meaningless. I mean, our, our lives and ultimately our deaths are no more consequence than that of a goldfish. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So after all your talk, you're saying that it all comes down to a choice. Believe or don't believe. That's right. That's all there is. That's all there's ever been. The only difference between your position and my position is that you take away their choice. You demand that they choose the box marked, I don't believe. Yes, because I want to free them. Because religion is like a, it, it, it's, it's like a mind virus that parents have passed on down to their children. And Christianity is the worst virus of all. It slowly creeps into our lives when we're weak or sick or helpless. So religion is like a disease? Yes. Yes, it infects everything. It's the enemy of reason. Reason? Professor, you left reason a long time ago. What you're teaching here isn't philosophy. It's not even atheism anymore. What you're teaching is anti-theism. It's not enough that you don't believe. You need all of us to not believe with you. Why don't you admit the truth? You just want to ensnare them in your primitive superstition. What I want is for them to make their own choice. That's what God wants. You have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy failing you. Yeah, but who are you really looking to fail? Professor. Me? Or God? Do you hate God? It's <laughs> not even a question. Okay. Why? Do you hate God? This is ridiculous. Why do you hate God? Answer the question! You've seen the science and the arguments. Science supports his existence. You know the truth. So why do you hate him? Why? It's a very simple question, Professor. Why do you hate God? Because he took everything away from me. Yes, I hate God. All I have for him is hate. How can you hate someone if they don't exist? Okay, so uh, while the previous scene is one that I think is not particularly awful, uh, this scene makes my flesh crawl. Um, I hate it so much, it infuriates me, it makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, for a few reasons. One is that from a debate standpoint, like I've had not formal debates with uh, atheists, friends, and and uh, the, the, the points that are being made here by Josh and then the, the professor's, I'll be honest, like pathetic attempts to, to refute them. The, uh, I agree with the Josh character, but the way he's presenting uh, his points is just so simplistic and just everything is just so abbreviated, which because of this movie is what it is, uh, I understand why they can't just allow these three debates to just happen in real time. And maybe that's one of the flaws of the film. Um, so that frustrates me. But also there's just stuff like the 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 professor just keeps saying things to like tee up 
uh, Josh. So there's a moment where he says, next you'll be talking about moral absolutes. I don't know why he says that at that moment, but he does, and Josh jumps right on it. It's as though they worked it out beforehand with the professor trying to make Josh look as good as possible. And then there's moments, uh, there, there's a moment where you can see the professor's like on the ropes and he's sounding more desperate than logical. I'm okay with that because since we saw the previous scene, it has been established that this character's atheism is rooted in a history of pain and anger and loss. So from a character standpoint, we can understand if there's a little bit, you know, uh, sort of an emotional quiver uh, in his voice. So we can, we get that. That's fine. The problem is that the character of Josh, he hears that and he sees an opportunity. And so he knows, he knows this bit of personal information about the professor's mother. And he decides to get a lot more aggressive and he pushes and pushes and pushes until finally the professor breaks down and says this, this, this very sad admission that in fact he does believe in God, uh, but he hates him because he feels that God has taken everything from him. And then Josh says, how can you hate someone if they don't exist? The and with that, the the debate has been, you know, the the science has been settled, uh, and Josh has won the debate. And obviously, the film is is leading to that, and and wants its audience, who is predominantly, if not exclusively, Christian, um, wants them to cheer and think, "All right, we won." And all we had to do was exploit the weakness and loss of a character who was willing to be vulnerable with us. But hey, that you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs and we've got to we've got to make our point. We need to convince the class, we need to convince the audience. Uh, and I do think that part of this is is rooted in from a from the film and from a cultural standpoint I think some of this is rooted in the, the the filmmakers' ideas of where Christianity stands in American culture right now. There are a lot of people that feel like Christianity is under attack, and certainly uh, in an academic setting, it, there there have been instances of of. Uh, non-Christian professors or just atheist professors, whatever, um, calling out religion in general and Christianity very specifically. I myself, I have not get, gotten in a debate, uh, but I myself experienced that when I was at Southwest Missouri State uh, in, in a, a geology class. Uh, the professor, um, <laughs> it's, it's funny in retrospect, but like he got off on a tangent about young earth creationists and he spent the entire class on it, not talking to anyone in the audience. Um, but, uh, but just talking to himself and he made some really good points, but it was just fascinating to sit back and just let it like, there's clearly a lot of anger and frustration there. I don't mean to suggest that he was a character like uh, Kevin Sorbo's, but you know, and I had the thought, I don't, I don't think I consider myself a young earth creationist, but the, but along the way he was making some generalities that I found frustrating as a, as a Christian. Um, but this is where, you know, 
the Josh character thinks like, oh, well, I can't I can't do what this professor is asking me to do. I myself am like, well, look, there's no way we're getting homework out of this. It's not going to happen. So, you know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And uh, and this 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 whole class has been a freebie. Um, I've probably told that story before, but uh, it's it speaks to the the pragmatism of me as a as a a 19 year old. and now maybe I would have said something. I don't know. When I went back to school for my master's, I uh, I spoke up a lot more. Um, but maybe the fact that I was 35 at the time uh, played a role. But anyway, um, so I ha- you know, this does exist. Um, and so I think the 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 makers of the film thought like, okay, we're going to strike our own blow against this kind of singling out uh, and we're going to give this student a win over his secular professor and you know if they had not personalized the professor's uh, atheism and, and made it something more than than logical concerns I mean the movie still would have been bad but this scene wouldn't be quite so odious to me um, and so but they did decide to do that. And when I hear these two scenes together, and they do come one basically right after another, there's not a lot separating them. Um, when I hear that, it seems like just the, man, just the least Christian way to approach this situation. When we run across someone who has experienced pain or loss, or whatever it is, and they are angry about it, or sad, or depressed, uh, I'd say, regardless of who they are uh, to us, they could be our friend, they could just be a stranger, they could be a neighbor, or they could be, in this case, an enemy, uh, the Bible's pretty clear about how we should approach that, which is, we should approach that person with love, and being, and we should be willing to listen, and and I don't think this the, the the first scene with Josh we don't really see his response uh, or we don't hear it but we certainly kind of we can retroactively he, understand what he was thinking in that moment which was I have a card I can play now against my enemy. And I recognize that the professor character is not necessarily reaching out for help or for a friendly ear or anything like that, but he is exposing himself emotionally. And that is always uh, an opportunity to love someone and listen to them. And then in front of the class, uh, Josh exploits this weakness for his own victory and and of course the the fans of the movie and the makers of the movie would say well it's not just for him it's for god i don't think god would want this kind of victory where this poor man who yes has been actively uh fighting against him i don't think god would want this man to be emotionally crushed in front of his students Frankly, I, you know, I do some script consulting here and there, and if I had this script handed to me, I would say, you know what, I think Josh should essentially forfeit 
the debate or not not a situation where he refuses to say nothing refuses to say anything but that he instead addresses why it is so difficult to believe in god in such a broken world and yes he can even talk about free will he can talk about all that but approaching it not from a debate standpoint but from the point of view of someone who is desperately trying to be empathetic um with those that that have this kind of objection and and maybe even have the the professor maybe he still responds with with aggression and maybe the debate is seen as oh well i guess the professor wins because the 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 student didn't strike that final decisive blow um he's willing to take the loss which in the in the context of the film means that he's willing to to fail the class so that he can speak to where the professor is as opposed to what he represents and and to continue on in this uh, fantasy version of the script perhaps the the it is seen that the professor uh, he he is seen as winning the debate but maybe he opts not to fail the kid because he recognizes that there's that there there was something there that he saw a kindness that he had long ago dismissed uh from the world of christianity or maybe the kid has just failed and that's it you know but he he chose that failure because it meant trying to connect with somebody uh as a as a person and from a perspective you know from a perspective of love and hey you know what and if you've seen the film you also know that there is this uh this student uh an exchange student from china that has sought out um josh and maybe the whole class sees the professor as having won the debate but this one chinese student who has been singled out in the film maybe afterwards he sees what josh has done and maybe he sees the value in christianity and maybe he converts and so maybe it's a situation where all of this was for one soul but no the movie is about the entire class standing and, de- and declaring God's not dead. And incidentally, uh, shortly after this uh, this scene, the professor is hit by a car and a pastor happens to be uh, walking by. And the pastor kneels with him and the professor experiences a deathbed conversion. And that is and that's intercut with a Newsboys concert, by the way. Um which seems a little tone deaf. And while I do understand from a spiritual and and cosmic standpoint, this is a moment of victory for the professor that he's able to move past his anger and frustration, but it's also a deathbed conversion. And that is, that is such an extreme thing. Um, that, I don't know. It's an argument can be made that like, well, maybe he's not even in his right mind. Who knows? Um, and I also just think that like this character that has already been exposed emotionally is now by getting hit by a car while all these Christians are cheering at a Newsboys concert. Uh, it seems like the movie kicks him when he's down and it seems like a very and even though he, he does convert, which still, again, seems to me a little bit uh, arbitrary from a character and narrative standpoint. But I, I feel like I couldn't. I feel like I couldn't celebrate it because I think the film 
viewed it as like, oh, he, he got what was coming to him. And you know what? In the end, he agreed with us. It's just it it feels like the most unchristian way to approach this material. Um, but culturally, hey, it's us versus them. And so we will do whatever we can do to win the cultural fight. And in doing so, we completely uh, sell out our own values and sell out, frankly, the way Jesus approached sinners uh, and people that disagreed with him and people that actively oppressed him. Uh, You know, uh, one of Jesus' followers cuts off the ear of a Roman soldier that is coming to get G- to grab Jesus to go crucify him. And Jesus puts his ear back on. He heals his oppressor. Here, though, it's, hey, uh, this guy's oppressing me. That's all I care about. And, hey, we do have a public audience. So I'm going to pull out uh, all the stops and I'm going to humiliate him. And I just find the whole thing so disgusting you know it's so easy to talk about this movie and other christian films frankly from a purely artistic standpoint and just say they are you know lacking but i also think that in this one the reason that i single this one out more so than the films of alex kendrick or something like that is that i i think theologically it's just wrong it's genuinely wrong uh it is an example of what not to do. It is an example of cultural Christianity and not actual Christianity. And it was just really sticking with me and it bothered me. And, and like, I, I think I was bothered by this exchange when, when Josh and I did our episode about it years ago. But just as time has gone on, it has stayed with me and I felt like I needed to record something about it because I'll say this. If you are somebody, whether it be uh, Christian or or atheist or whatever it is, if you're somebody who has experienced loss or trauma or anger, and you feel as though that is keeping you at arm's length from God, uh, and please, if you're an atheist, don't think that I'm saying this is the reason you don't believe in God. I'm sure you have your reasons. Um, but my point is, if, if any Christian has ever... <laughs> not met you where you were at as they were talking about this or they saw this as an opportunity to try to convert you and not really hear you first i am sorry about that that really shouldn't have happened and while obviously we do want to embrace our faith and we we think that it is advantageous for other people to embrace christianity um I do think that seeing everything as an opportunity to sell is is not at all what Jesus did. Um, and he didn't hide who he was, uh, but he did when he came across someone who was suffering. He listened first. He mourned with them. You know, before he raised uh, Lazarus, he cried with, with Lazarus's family over the fact that he was dead, even though he knew full well, I, I, I'm about to go bring this guy back from the dead. But he, just the sadness of what this world is, he was able to experience that with them. And I feel like if we are so focused on, certainly if focused on like destroying our enemies 
or selling our belief system so much so that we cannot live in this moment of sadness with somebody, then I think we are doing a great disservice to the faith that we're trying to sell. I'm sorry to use that word sell, but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's all I, uh, all I had to say. Um, as I said, I don't know when I'll be doing another one of these, but, uh, this one was important to me. So if you have any questions, feel free to weigh in, in the comments, or you can email me tyler at more than one lesson.com. Otherwise I will just get you next time. Bye.